The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of the make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job, not just entertain, but how about context? How about understanding? Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. We're at that darn fulcrum moment when bad news is good news, but it's still bad. We want to hear about layoffs because it means the Fed can ease up. But we don't want to get laid off ourselves. Welcome to the living hell that is a true Fed tightening cycle. It plays out every day, including this one, the day before a Fed meeting where we find out what's going really going wrong. Dow dipping 80 points, S&P declining 0.41%. NASDAQ tumbling 0.89%. Let me give you some examples. All right, this morning, Kramer Fave, Intuit, announced a hiring freeze at its Credit Karma business because lending has slowed down so people aren't checking their credit scores around the clock anymore. Credit Karma's the jack of all credit. They can get you pre-approval for loans. They can help you identify credit card fraud. And they show you how to get a better credit rating. But when the Fed's raising interest rates, nobody wants to borrow money aggressively because they're too afraid of losing their job and the cost of borrowing. It skyrocketed. Got a mortgage last year, you might have locked in, say, 3% and change. Now you can't even lock in 7 and change, and it could get even worse after tomorrow's Fed meeting. We've already had a fistful of rate hikes, and we're preparing ourselves for a few more. Which brings me back to the bad karma that Credit Karma racked up, which is why the parent company at one point lost 7.6% of its value in the morning. This acquisition looked brilliant when Intuit paid $7.1 billion for it back in uh, 2020. At one point, it was among their fastest-growing units. Now it's suddenly the go to the game, and you know I do not mean greatest of all time. Now, I'm not trying to pick on Intuit. Far from it. They make the best small business software in the game. You can't operate without QuickBooks and TurboTax. And even uh, after seeing its stock go down so much in the morning, guess what? Credit Karma didn't hurt the company at all. It came out after the close and reiterated its guidance for the quarter and the year the stock reclaimed the whole loss. But you know what? Trust me. As we go forward from here, there won't be many comebacks from the blowups. 
You see, once again, like other things, other times when we are fighting inflation and recession at once, this is a very different market. When there was lots of free money sloshing around, you wanted to know how much free money you could get. That's because it's now closed. So why bother to figure out how much you can't get? In other words, this market's become what I call a living minefield. You can't take a step for fear that you might land on the next Intuit after its blow up in the morning because there may not be an afternoon revival. Believe me, when the Fed tightens again tomorrow, they'll begin to be landmines galore. So how do you avoid the landmines? Well, in the old days, it was pretty easy. You could circle the wagons around fine, plus Microsoft, because they were all great secular growth stories that could buck any tightening cycle. That's how great they were doing. Unfortunately, that's no longer the case. These days, we have enough smartphones. The cloud is just old hat. Online advertising business falling apart. Personal computers are in such low demand that you might as well, I don't know, how about we use them as, uh, as bookends? How about that? I mean, how many PCs do you need? I have one. They almost feel like they're the phone books of the current era. Now, if you don't know what a phone book is, you can just always either Google it or ask your mom or dad. Facebook isn't even Facebook anymore. It's not even Instagram anymore. It's not even Reels anymore. It's Metaverse. You know what Metaverse feels like to me? Bluth! Don't buy, don't buy, don't buy, don't buy. But they aren't alone. For years, we, that's a reference to an old TV show that I was in. For years, we figured that enterprise software would never slow down either, right? Enterprise software didn't eat the world. Turns out it was just the Fed's easy money policies allowing endless tech startups to get funded. Software now needs Pepto-Bismol. Do we have any Pepto-Bismol? I always like to chug it. That's, how I, that's what enterprise software is doing right now. Chug, glug, glug, glug. Not bad. Oh, well, how bad is it? You know, you know how I said Intuit turned out to be a landmine when you least expected it? You know, a little more than a decade ago, I took a trip. I went to the Golan Heights. That's that border between Israel and Syria. When you get there, it, it's a little daunting, frankly. You see a sign every few feet with a skull and crossbones and the word mine. To me, enterprise software now seems like it resides on the wrong side of the Golan Heights. These companies all feel like they do the exact same thing, using cloud-based software to improve performance or get more customers or analyze more data while keeping it safe for cyber thieves, yet be instantly retrievable and code-free. Sometimes I wonder if they'll stay on the wrong side of the Golan until they all merge. The one good thing I can say about cloud software names is that they're not semiconductor stocks. Chips seem to be in glut everywhere. I thought some were so good that they couldn't be stopped, but that was naive. Turns out the best chips were so good that they got banned from selling them in China, the best growth market in the world. Two steps into that Syrian minefield, and then you're on Intel. I did think AMD had some good things to say this evening, but we need to know more before we see if it's demined. Gaming, daytime precision bombing. Chemicals and paper stocks, nighttime saturation bombing. And even they still have the edge on SPACs. The SPACs of the world, they aren't mines. They're being carpet bombed around the clock, craters everywhere. If you want to avoid a minefield, you have to go to the new leaders of this market. Leaders like healthcare, leaders like the oils, leaders like the financials that lay off people's amount, of course, and their stocks go higher, not lower. You buy the industrials that are levered to travel. You buy consumer packaged goods stocks that have lots of commodity costs that are now coming down. It's why I keep suggesting you look at what we're doing at the investing club, the CNBC investing club. For instance, here's a good one. We like, hey, do you like beer? <laughs> Free beer. I once gave a, I had free beer once at the bar. People like free beer. 
We like the stock of Constellation Brands. Why? Well, that's the maker of Corona, Modelo, Pacifico. Oh, by the way, the, uh, the Gen Z, X, M, whatever, they love the brown bottle so much you can charge them anything. But uh, my work shows me that when you go, go into a recession, beer consumption actually rises. At the same time, raw costs like aluminum and glass, they go lower. Well, that's my kind of stock for this moment. S-T-Z. How about L-L-Y? Eli Lilly, which is on tonight and has a boatload of new drugs, including a terrific one for diabetes and even better for obesity. Could be among the greatest sellers. Of, no, I think it'll be among the top five sellers of all time. A drug that could, that could make you lose 25 pounds without. Don't we all want to lose it? Anyway, it's why I keep kicking myself about missing PepsiCo, because you don't need a weatherman to know when the headwinds of commodity costs become the tailwinds for margin improvement. Mondelez, Kraft, Kellogg, Colgate, Procter & Gamble, they all work. When it comes to the supermarket, only General Mills has run too far. Now, look, I know that we're seeing high-profile tech stocks come down to levels where historically they'd be very interesting. I like the low-price earnings ratio of Alphabet. Uh, I can make a case for it. Same goes for ServiceNow. Just had a remarkable quarter. But nobody walks into a minefield on purpose. It's bad enough hitting a mine like into it when you thought you were in a safety zone. How can you willingly take the risk in tech? Much better to own stock in a neighborhood where the mines have been cleared, like the banks. Here's the real rub. I want you to think about Johnson & Johnson for a moment, not the baby powder. Here's a company with a AAA balance sheet that just bought one of the most important cardiological device makers, and that's Abimed, and for a great deal of money. And it didn't matter to the stock because J&J has so much cash that it didn't ding the balance sheet. Even better, they're breaking up into the consumer packaged goods companies, which I want, and a faster-growing medical company with Abimed and pharma devices and, pharma and, and drugs, which I crave. The Brothers Johnson, they've got karma, real good karma. No need for credit karma. You got Johnson karma. Here's the bottom line. As we get into the more of the Fed's tightening cycle, we have to be thinking, I can't step here. I can't step there. So just go the other way. Even better, maybe stay out of the golden altogether. Never know when you might make a wrong turn. Jack in New Jersey. Jack. Hey, what's going on, Jim? Jack, I don't know. I'm trying to get my arms around this market. You know, it's not easy. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Hey, Jim, uh, Ulta Beauty looks like they survived the pandemic with flying colors. They had a curb and store uh, uh, pickup. They improved their online ordering, and they added a rewards program. But do people know that they just added hair salon services, and how much can that add to the bottom line? No, they've known they had it for a long time. You know, I actually walked out of the light because I was starting to think I didn't have enough mic up on. I might look better in the dark. Ulta is terrific here. I like the new CEO. I like the way the stores look. I like the price points. And I've got to tell you, Ulta has room for literally hundreds of more stores. Hundreds. I want you to remember the Brothers Johnson and stay out of the gullet. You never know when you might make a wrong turn. Oh, man, tonight. Well, we've got some pretty special things. We've got a well, travel trust named Eli Lilly, which you can't beat. They reported better than expected quarter, but people sold off anyway. Why? Well, I guess there's just no accounting for wrong. I'm starting to talk. I'm, you know what else I'm talking to? I'm talking to the CEO of Kroger. They're acquiring Albertsons, doing a $25 billion deal, digging into the details with the top brass. And then a quizzical one, Airbnb. After the bell, people are selling it. Are they right to do so? Why don't we break down the numbers in five and find out? So I suggest that you stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on Twitter. Have a question? 
Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a seventy-five dollar sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Just go to Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, what the heck just happened to Eli Lilly? This drug stock's been one of the biggest winners in my capital trust this year, up roughly 28% year-to-date. But this morning, a reported a quarter that Wall Street, it really didn't like it. While Lilly beat the sales and earnings estimates, they also cut their full-year forecast, citing both currency headwinds and some one-off charges related to research and development spending. Oh, of course, the insanely strong dollar is lethal to anybody with a lot of business overseas, and Lilly's got that. However, you know what? I think the sellers overlooked some key positives here, like some phenomenal initial sales results from Manjaro. That's Lilly's new diabetes drug that will likely also be approved as an anti-obesity treatment. I'm betting that this is a buying opportunity, but do not take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Dave Rich. He's the chairman and CEO of Eli Lilly to learn more about the quarter and what comes next. Dave, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to be with you, Jim. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Thank you so much for asking. Now, good. I first want to get something out of the way because I know it's what people focus on, but it's not what I focus on or you what you focus on. There was a guidance cut. You have to do that. And I just wanted to be put in the context of how well your company is really doing, if you don't mind. Yeah, we did cut the guidance today after after hitting you know our operational metrics and in constant currency underlying business looks great. Um, but as you know, in, in the summer, the foreign currencies, and we have a big overseas business, uh, were downgraded substantially. And we just reflect the current spot price in our forward guide. That results in a $300 million down on revenue and most of that flowing to the bottom line. 
in Q4. But you know, the un- underlying fundamentals of the business are, are really strong. We've got new products, 70% of our revenue are relatively new products, and they grew 24% in Q3 in constant currency. So a really, really strong operational performance in the quarter. Well, I'm glad that's what you brought up. You've got a really terrific tech. You've always been the most transparent of all drug companies with an update on key growth products. And what I've noticed is you have some franchises that are probably the best in the world, and that includes diabetes. It includes, I think, uh, cancer, brain, because I know you've always done great brain work. But we have to talk yep. about obesity, too. And I want to talk about, if you don't mind, Monjaro and Trulicity. Sure. Um, and give people a sense of, well, of where you are in terms of owning these markets and what could be the future for Eli Lilly and obesity. Yeah, well, so going back almost two decades, Jim, we launched the first Incretin, it's called. That's the name of the class. These are hormones that your stomach and your gut secrete when you eat that cause uh, satiety, uh, energy uptake, and calorie expenditure. And we've learned through the years that uh, after that first one, we launched a second one called Trulicity. Now we're on our third, which is a dual-acting incretin. It, 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 it mimics two hormones from your gut. It's called Monjaro. That these drugs um, really can have a profound effect on the control of diabetes, which is the current indication, uh, blood glucose reductions that are really haven't been seen before, and pretty dramatic weight loss in patients with diabetes. And then further, as you mentioned, we've got a series of phase three studies ongoing in obesity. So this would be for people with or without diabetes who have a body mass index above 30 or above 27 with two comorbidities. And in our first study, we had some incredible results. I think you saw them where um, patients at the highest dose lost 52 pounds in a year and a half compared to five pounds on placebo. So um, really a a profound uh, new way to medically treat weight loss, really in a zone only previously achieved by surgical intervention. This is under review at the FDA, and um, we hope to get it approved next year. Okay, now there were some people, Dave, who felt that maybe there's something when they say fast track that you would have announced today that would say, okay, we're now gonna be able to take it. The FDA has always been very careful on weight loss. I felt that when I read your comments today that you're basically on schedule for where you've been said, and that that's absolutely terrific because we want this to be as safe as possible. Yeah, that's right. There is a long history. We can remember um, weight loss drugs in the past that were pulled off the market or had significant safety concerns. And I think the FDA, which is their job is to promote the public health, but also to protect it, um, foresees these drugs might be widely used. So they want to be quite sure. When we originally went to the FDA, they asked us for four studies uh, to complete a a submission. They've actually narrowed that to two. So we're actually a little bit ahead of schedule, both in time and the scope of the original submission. But that's based on the strength of this first initial study we have, which data looked very uh, good from a safety perspective. And of course, the efficacy I already commented on really a, a potential game changer for people who suffer from chronic uh, weight, excess let, weight. Let me ask you, there were some people who felt that uh, Munjaro versus Trulicity, which is such a great drug, that they looked at the quarter and they said maybe Munjaro is cannibalizing Trulicity's growth. To me, what I saw was that maybe you will not have enough medicine this time next year, and you had to make a lot, and there was no cannibalization. Well, I think it's more uh, similar to your version. Um, uh, that, that would be our, our take. Um, probably we expected a little more cannibalization than we've seen as we launched Monjaro. Remembering uh, this is in the same exact uh, convenient delivery system that patients and doctors enjoy. 
It um, has a very generous access program at launch, um, so payment out-of-pocket costs shouldn't be a barrier. And already, Jim, in 20 weeks, Monjaro is the leading, according to new prescriptions in the United States, leading Anchorton uh, in the whole diabetes market, passing our own Trulicity and our competitors' products. But Trulicity held up pretty well. Most of the growth in Monjaro are new patients coming to this class for medicines that weren't working well for them with diabetes. Right. Now, so that's great news, uh, class growth for us um, as we look forward on the outlook. One last question, because you did bring it up in the conference call in your deck, there was renewed hope for an Alzheimer's disease treatment than Nonabat. Now, I want to be really clear, because this is a, a drug, this is an illness that you and I both know we're almost reluctant to talk about because it's so horrible. Yeah. But you brought it up. It seems like that you do have some possibilities. Things seem on track. We know Biogen was fortunate enough to get something through. How are you feeling about even talking about this? I know it's a difficult one, and you're a conservative man. But you did give us, I felt, an opening that maybe there'd be some hope here. Yeah, thanks for raising that, Jim. We're really passionate about uh, advancing medicines that can help people with Alzheimer's, because we've all been affected by this disease, as I'm sure so many of your viewers have. It's the only reason that seniors die in America where we don't have a disease-modifying drug right now. We need one. And so we've been working for 30-plus years and 4 or $5 billion into this to find something that could help. And we do think dononumab is, is going to be that first medicine, but we have to prove it. And I think the last time I was on your show, we talked about our Phase two results, mm -hmm. smaller study, that were the first positive study in Alzheimer's that hit the primary endpoints. Actually, a competitor recently announced a larger study that also hit um, a positive endpoint, lecanemab from ESI. And that's great news for the field as well, because I think the field needs confidence that addressing the amyloid plaques can reduce the burden of Alzheimer's. Our study's right. fully enrolled. Mm -hmm. We expect results next spring. And um, in the interim, we have submitted to the FDA for this so-called accelerated approval based on that phase two study we talked about uh, more than a year ago. Um, but the, the data will start coming quickly here, and we hope by middle of next year we'll have definitive proof this is helping patients, and uh, that'll be a, a great moment for our well, company and, of course, for all the people who suffer from Alzheimer's. Dave, well, look, I think you guys are doing this one large, my large position to trust, and because I have so much trust in you and your team at Eli Lilly. Thank you so much you. for being on Mad Money. Great to see you. Thanks for having us on, Jim. Take care. It's David Ricks, chair and CEO of Eli Lilly, LLY. May have money's back Coming up, two big ingredients, one supermarket mega merger. Kramer sits down with Kroger to see if this grocer can make you some green. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
couple of weeks ago, I talked about Kroger's attempt to buy Albertsons in a supermarket mega merger that could create a nationwide powerhouse. My gut instincts, this might be a tough sell because the Biden administration's been pretty aggressive on antitrust. But Kroger's got some great arguments, mainly that there aren't many areas where their stores actually compete with Albertsons. I still think it could be difficult to get approval from the Federal Trade Commission, but if they do pull it off, it will be a huge win for shareholders and perhaps for customers. So can they do it? Let's take a closer look with Rodney McMullen. He's the chairman and CEO of Kroger to get a better sense of why he's buying Albertsons and how he'll get approval from the regulators. Mr. McMullen, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm good, Rodney. Uh, Sorry about last night. I know that you follow sports. Uh, Let me get right to it. I think that this merger, as I said on our show, is terrific for customers and for shareholders. There is a perspective in Washington that perhaps any mergers are anti-competitive. But you showed me without a doubt the possibility on the eve of a Fed meeting that you could help bring the cost of food down to many Americans. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at our track record over the last uh, over 10 years, we've reduced prices uh, for customers year after year after year. It's just part of our strategy. Uh, The merger also uh, provides good, solid union jobs and more job security. And it really allows us to compete against uh, those large uh, non-union competitors. So we think it's a win for our customers. We think it's a win for our associates and a win for the communities that we're in as well. Now, I know that synergies and overuse were, but when I look at the two companies combined, I see possibility of things like three, four, maybe even five billion dollars worth of synergies over the next decade. Possible? Uh, well, the commitment we've made is a billion dollars of synergies, and obviously uh, we're focused on achieving that. And that number is net of the investments in our, uh, for pricing and in terms of the customer experience. We've assumed $1.3 billion investment for customer experience over the next three years. So when you look at all of those things together, you know, it allows us to have a bigger scale on technology. It also allows us to work uh, from a supplier standpoint. Uh, to negotiate pricing as well. So for us, it really is all those things together. Obviously, both companies uh, have a strong track record of merging and being able to uh, bring together uh, different brands, but the same similar culture, same similar values, and benefit the customer. All right, so let's talk about divestitures. When I first saw this merger, I was actually surprised. The footprints, are, are they're not that much of an overlap. You'd be creating a national company that I think competes against Walmart and Costco. Uh, That's how I look at it. And yet I think that some of the authorities are saying, no, there's way too much overlap. Can you describe how much there really is versus, say, the nationwide competitors that you'd be against? Well, if you look, uh, obviously, throughout the whole process, we've had world-class advisors helping us, and we look forward to being able to sit down with the uh, FTC and other uh, interested parties and, uh, to cooperate and have that dialogue. But the point you made is absolutely true. When you start looking at it trade store by store, the overlap isn't nearly as much as what somebody would assume. And when you look at it, it really does uh, provide a national footprint. We would be in 48 states. Uh, we would serve 85 million households. And it really does give us the scale to operate against, you know, as you note, uh, mentioned, you know, Walmart, Costco, also Amazon from a technology standpoint. And it really allows us to serve the customer in a seamless way. All right, now, you mentioned the FTC. There are in a couple of markets, for instance, We know Seattle and Denver, there's overlap, maybe so much as 100 to 375 stores. 
The FTC has historically decided that you, it is not good to create so-called spinco. It won't work. Where you have a company, a new company is created that actually can compete. Uh, Jonathan Canner, the assistant attorney general, has written specifically about how situations like this don't work. Both have referenced the fact that Safeway did an acquisition with Albertsons and that within five months, the Spinco went under. This was Hagen because they put, didn't have enough money. What are you prepared to put into Spinco to make sure that you have a real competitor, especially after you're paying, you're paying out a special dividend that could really help make Spinco stronger? Yeah, when, when you look at uh, Spinco, uh, obviously the experience that happened with other transactions was reflected in terms of making sure that we set up uh, Spinco if the stores aren't sold to somebody else to make sure it's a strong, viable competitor that's well-financed with amazing management uh, to where, you know, day one, it's a competitor just as strong as what's in the marketplace today. So all of those factors are part of it. And, uh, you know, we feel very comfortable that it will be a strong, viable, uh, great competitor. Well, I know that uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, for one, not not a fan. I understand that. A different different views about these things. But she directly talks about the idea that if there was not such a huge special dividend going to who you're buying, that it's possible that that money could be used both for uh, employees, raise their uh, wages, and for Spinco. Uh, what do you say about the special dividend that does seem like a pretty bountiful thing for some shareholders at Albertsons? Well, it's something that Albertsons was planning to do regardless of the merger. Uh, obviously, uh, if you look at during COVID, they had incredible success, generated a lot of cash flow and delevered the company a lot. Uh, but the dividend is something that their board and uh, decided beforehand, and it was something they would have done regardless of the transaction. So do you think, can you give any assurance at the FTC, and I'd like to know whether you have spoken to them directly, not just submitted, spoken to them directly, that we will not have what's known as a Safeway-Hagen problem, where Hagen got a bunch of Safeways and then went bankrupt within five months. Have you talked directly to anyone in the enforcement or at the highest level of the FTC or justice about this deal? Uh, I have not at this point, but I'm sure at uh, some point we will, I will. Uh, and uh, we feel very confident and comfortable uh, that uh, it'll be an amazing competitor uh, that creates good, solid jobs. In addition to, if you look at uh, the Albertson-Kroger merger, uh, we'll have over 700,000 associates, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of good, strong union jobs. And in fact, if you look at over the last several years, Kroger's added over 100,000 union jobs. And you know, when you look at all those things together, I think we have a, a great case to uh, share and looking excited to uh, sit down and share uh, the actual details. One last question. You showed me specific baskets of food where you actually kept prices down below the national average. Can you assure us that that can be done when you merge with Albertsons? that would make it so that we actually could have price deflation, something that the Federal Reserve wants very badly, but has not been able to do. Absolutely. And Jim, as you know, on the data that we shared, if you look at, um, as I mentioned before, over the last 10 years, we've lowered our gross profit rate uh, every single year except for one. And we would continue to expect to do that. If you look at the way we go to market, our belief is uh, to continue to invest in pricing and promotions for our customers. When you look at fuel rewards and all the equation together, continue to invest in wages. In fact, over the last three years, 
Uh, we've increased wages well north of 20%. And uh, continue to invest and support our communities with zero hunger, zero waste. So it's really all of those things together. And we are committed and will make sure that the customer comes out ahead, our associates come out ahead, and the communities come out ahead. And we always believe when we do those th three things right, our shareholders have a great return as well. All right, let's leave it there. Thank you so much, Rodney McMullen, Chairman CEO of Kroger KR. I like the deal, you know that, and I've been a big supporter of your stock, and nothing you said makes me feel anything other than I should continue to do so. Good to see you, Rodney. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, money's back after the break. Coming up, Airbnb's earnings are of interest to more than just a weary traveler. Kramer talks travel and more with the top brass. Next. IPO from the last few years is now viewed as guilty until proven innocent. I, there's nothing we can do about it. Hey, take Airbnb, one of my favorites. Very good business. Consistently strong numbers. I'm a customer. You're a customer. You think the stock might be, might do well, given that we've got a travel boom. Yet it just hasn't worked. Every rally seems to fade. Every good-looking earnings result is ignored or disdain. Happened again tonight. Airbnb's stock's getting hammered in after hours trading, even though I, they turned in what I thought was a very strong set of numbers. Uh, gross booking value, all better than expected. Okay, some flaws. Airbnb's volume was a little light, uh, free cash flow, maybe not perfect. But their forecast for the fourth quarter, eh, in line, but I think could be conservative. Overall, I thought the pros vastly outweighed the cons. Nevertheless, the stock got hit anyway, because this thing's constantly being lumped in with a bunch of other newly public companies that has very little in common with, including the fact that it makes a ton of money. So could this be a buying opportunity? we got to dig deeper with Brian Chesky. He's the co-founder and chairman CEO of Airbnb to learn more. Mr. Chesky, welcome back to Mad Money. Well, thank you for having me, Jim. Good to talk to you today. All right, let's go right to the, I'm just going to say it, Brian. You are making a fortune. Why do people not understand what free cash flow means and what money in the bank means? Because that's what you have. Well, I think we just need to keep telling your story. And the story is pretty simple, that we did nearly $1 billion in free cash flow in a single quarter. And we've done $3.3 billion in free cash flow in the last 12 months. And that means that that's more than a 40% free cash flow margin. So I just think we just need to keep telling that story. Well, to me, what was even more impressive is that the profitability lines, you, you've got better than expected adjusted EBITDA, much better than expected gap net income, which I love, a former up 41%. Against that, people are looking at, I don't know, nights and experienced book. I mean, those, okay, not perfect. But I like a company that's making a ton of money, and that's what you're doing. Yeah, and I mean, if you just take, you just take net income, for example, we did $1.2 billion and net income, and this, if you were to um, exclude foreign exchange, um, that's up more than 60% year over year. So I think the lesson here is the bigger we get, the more scale we get, the more operating leverage we get, and we've stayed disciplined. Jim, you know this, but we had a really difficult 2020, and we had to pull back a lot of expenses. We got really disciplined, and when the economy was going very well, we did not forget the lessons from the pandemic. And we've stayed disciplined. We will remain disciplined. Well, what I'm excited for you, Brian, is that there, you have a ton of money in the bank. I mean, you bought back a lot of stock. You probably have more money in the bank than any of the companies that started during your period. 
And you never really hired everybody back. You can now get the pick of people. I imagine that there are great engineers, uh, great software people who want to work for you. And you're really the only game in town because everybody else is laying off. Yeah, I mean, we are we are staying very aggressive um, with hiring but not absolute numbers of people. Because we've learned from the pandemic that actually fewer people allow us not only to be more profitable, but allow us to move faster, be more nimble, and we can actually innovate faster. So what we're really focused on is hiring the very best people in the world. And we have a pretty flexible work policy. And that means that whether, regardless of where people live, they can work for Airbnb. And so we're getting a lot of inbound. After we made a remote policy update, we had, you know, we had hundreds of thousands of applications come to Airbnb. So we're going to stay pretty aggressive about bringing talent in. But in the beginning of the year, Jim, before the economy took a turn for the worse, we were still only preparing to hire seven to eight percent more employees. So the basic principle I had is whether it's a recession or a gut economy, we're not going to run the company that differently. We're going to stay incredibly disciplined and that discipline will allow us to innovate very quickly. Hey, let me ask you, where are you right now? I'm in San Francisco in my house, but I was living in Airbnb, but now I'm here. You're boring. You're boring me with that. I can't exactly. believe it. Well, I okay. get back on the road. Right. You got $10 billion in cash. I mean, and that's a B, $10 billion in cash. Now, what are you going to do with it? I mean, you could buy any competitor if you have one, right? Yeah, you know, well, again, one of the lessons I think I learned was that, you know, we want to run the company as consistently as possible in a good economy or a bad economy. So we're going to stay really disciplined. If we see any major investment opportunities, we will invest. But I don't think that you will see a fundamental change to our profitability. I think this company will get incredibly profitable over time. We're going to make metronomic improvement every single quarter. And we're really focused on a couple really big opportunities. I mean, I want to really make sure, number one, we perfect our core business. We want to have great value, great customer service. The next thing is I want to make sure that hosting becomes mainstream. In a recession, I think millions of people could turn to Airbnb to consider putting their homes um, on our platform. And then finally, we do eventually want to be expanding beyond our core business. But we want to make sure that we get the fundamentals right before we do that. And so those are the things that we're focused on right now. Well, okay. when I hear that, I say to myself, why just the okay fourth quarter guidance? Why not put out some stretch goals and then crush them? Well, we I mean, I'm really bullish on the next quarter. And, uh, oh, uh, you know, so I, I think there's going to be I mean, you know, I, I generally want to continue to exceed people's expectations. I think that right. pretty much every quarter we've been everything that we set out to do. And we want to continue to do that, especially on revenue, especially in a profitability standpoint. So make no mistake, we are incredibly ambitious internally. and We're not resting. All right. One of the, I was trying to come up with new metrics. How about repeat customers? Do you have any data on how many people do an Airbnb and then go back and go back and go back again? Yeah, I mean, we look at like our cohorts and one of the things we're seeing is that increasingly um, a larger and larger percent of our business comes from repeat customers, which is generally a good thing. So, um, you know, the vast majority of people, around 80 percent who book on Airbnb, then leave a review, leave a five star review. If you leave a five star review, you're very much likely to come back to Airbnb. And so we're one of the only travel companies of our size that has loyalty without needing a loyalty program. And we generally think if you create a great product that people love, they will stick to you and they'll come back each time. And that's why we spend a lot less on marketing than our competitors. We don't really have to buy very many customers. 90% of our traffic is direct or organic. 
and the majority of our bookings are for people that have already used Airbnb. We're happy. All right. Last time we spoke, you were talking about the new app, uh, which is by experience, which I liked and immediately used. Are others using it? Yes. How's it going? Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, it's going great. So, yeah, just to back up, in May, we launched this new idea, Airbnb Categories, where we organize homes not just by location, but why makes the homes unique. And this is a major change for travel search, Jim, because for 25 years, people would go to travel websites and just be a big search box and ask you, where are you going? But now we live in a world where people are more flexible. And so we said, what if we could design an interface where we could highlight what makes Airbnb unique, point demand to where we have supply, and be more in the inspiration business. In other words, be top of funnel. Right. What we've seen is that's exactly what's happened. Homes in categories have been now viewed more than 300 million times. And this is a really long bet that we're making. We're making this bet that we can be in the inspiration business and we can point demand where we have supply and not just have search functionality, but essentially have a discovery function on Airbnb as well. well. That's why you're in our bullpen for Travel Trust. I think this is such a great opportunity. I just hope we get to take advantage of it. Brian Chess, he's the chairman, yeah. co-founder, CEO of Airbnb, ABNB. Great to see you, Brian. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on, Jim. Absolutely. Man, buddy's back after the break. Coming up, what's in your mind, America? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, cover the lightning round. Let's start with Leon in Pennsylvania. Leon! Good evening, Mr. Kramer. Good evening, Leon. Uh, your current assessment of Telluride, ticker symbol TV. I am still oh, in the bye-bye-bye. I know they had some problems getting that financing for the last time, but you know what? It's early in the game. I like it as a call option on liquefied natural gas. Let's go to PT in Texas. PT! Hey, Big Jim. Your Eagles are looking better than the Mike Mamula days, pal. Oh, number 55. Yeah, I got. we got chill game. We got chill. That's Howie Roseman. He's the best in the business. What's up? What's up is I know we're hating on SPACs, uh, but I really got a long-term view, and I got some high conviction here, but I want your blessing on PL Planet Labs. You know, mini satellite, but I mean, look, it's an important, no, it is, it's a concept. It's a concept. It's a really interesting concept. Sometimes you can own a concept. That's a concept. It's conceptual. Let's go to Andy in Oregon. Andy. Yes, sir. Hello, Jim. How are you today? Having a real good day. How about you, Andy? Great, great. It's a beautiful day in Portland. There you uh, go. I have negative article about Portland at times today. I don't know. Read pretty bad. What's going on? Oh, uh, well, I've got a, a, a long time holding uh, Manulife Financial, MFC. And it, it uh, peaks about it, it, almost it, it, 15 years ago today. And it's kind of bouncing. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I just, I will tell you about Manulife. I'm going to put it in the NS category, which means nothing special. And I don't like to recommend stocks where there's nothing special. Not a, not even a blue plate. Let's go to Mitch in Ohio, please. Mitch. Hey, Jim. So glad to be on the line. Mitch. The wife and I tune in every single day. We love you. Thanks for everything you do. Oh, uh, see, that's so, so nice. So Thank tonight, you. calling in about a small company. It's both profitable and the stock has been trending up significantly. I'm just looking for your quick take on it. 
Libertarian Network, ticker P-E-R-I. It's kind of like a junior Adobe meets Wix, and I kind of like it for that particular reason and because it's making money, so I'm going to give it my blessing. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, and they're off. Kramer breaks down a high-stakes horse race that's got geopolitics at a gallop. Next. When you go to the racetrack and make a trifecta bet, it's not enough to get only one leg of the trifecta right. You need all three. But that's not how it works in the stock market. Right now, the trifecta is when the U.S. economy slows down, place China opens for business, and show Russia throws in the towel and raises the white flag like they did in the Chechen War in 1994. Any one of these could give us a fabulous rally, and every day it feels like we're getting closer to at least one of them coming through. For example, this morning we learned that China's propaganda minister seems to be in charge of creating a narrative that will allow President Xi to back away from his absurd zero-COVID policy. They know nothing! Where he's constantly locking down entire regions to stop the spread. Remember, this is happening because China insists on using homegrown vaccines that aren't as good as Pfizer or Moderna. But soon it'll look like Xi will be able to say that China's created its own mRNA vaccine, allowing uh, everyone to get their shots in a few weeks' time kind of funny that the Chinese minister of propaganda is the guy telling the truth. Sort of a reverse 1984 situation, but he's right. You can't beat COVID by locking people down forever. You can only do it with a high-quality vaccine. In China's case, there's a good chance they simply reverse-engineered an American one. But at this point, I'm just wondering why it took them so long. Honestly, at this point, any competent Ministry of Science should have been able to steal and manufacture the Moderna or Pfizer vaccines. It's pure hubris that she took ages to do this because it would be right for his people. But absolute power, eh, I guess it does those things. The moment she embraces rationality, though, there'll be a huge rally. For ages, China was the key engine of global economic growth, and then the pandemic hit and the whole thing fizzled. But if they can reopen for business, that's fabulous news for American companies with big Chinese exposure, like Nike, as well as a few charitable trust names like Estee Lauder, Disney, and most important, Starbucks. Bye, bye, bye. I like China to place in this horse race. I think she's going to change policy, change direction, and eventually he's going to realize that he's been wrong. So far, I've been wrong, but I don't think that lasts for too much longer. All right, how about the show bet? Russia. Thanks to the advent of liquefied natural gas, LNG exports from America, Europe now has enough fuel to handle a cold winter. I don't think Putin thought that would happen. He was hoping the winter would drive Western Europe to its knees, of course, because he's cutting off their natural gas, and force them to stop backing Ukraine in exchange for Russian fossil fuels. Of course, Putin's misjudged a lot of things this year. He thought his troops would be greeted as liberators. And that didn't happen. He should have cut his losses. Remember, Russia had not won but two sizable wars since the fall of the Soviet Union, both of them in Chechnya. In 1994, Chechen separatists acted in unison against Russia, and they fended off Boris Yeltsin. But then in 1999, there was a second war, led by Putin, where he managed to split the Chechen opposition and only won after committing a ton of atrocities. I think Ukraine is a lost cause for Putin at this point, but when you're a dictator, losing a war is very bad for your life expectancy. 
Putin has to play this one out because the alternative might be a coup d'etat. That makes me reluctant to put money on show. Which brings us to win the slowdown of the U.S. economy. The big sticking point here is that wages keep going higher, even as the Fed's trying to stamp out inflation. We got data today showing a big increase in job openings. Does not bode well for Friday's employment number, which suggests the Fed might stay on the warpath when we hear from them tomorrow. Add them up, and we still don't have a win when it comes to the red-hot American economy. And in Europe, the Ukrainians are winning the war, although Putin probably won't be willing to throw in the towel. But China, I think that's the most likely positive out there because their lockdown policies become too much of a liability as Western companies learn to manufacture things elsewhere. And that's the leg of the trifecta that will come in. Remember, you only need one of these to come in. I figured the place bet on China is the most likely, so please try not to get too negative. This place is a lot more lucrative than any pony trifecta where you have to nail all three. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.